This episode is brought to you by Personal Capital. Don't forget to sign up for your free account with Personal Capital right now. With Personal Capital, you'll finally be able to see all your accounts in one place and get a clear view of everything you own. Again, to sign up for free, you have to use personalcapital.com slash smart people. That's personalcapital.com slash smart people. Personal capital, less fees, more G's. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey out there, welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp. I'm John Rojas, and I almost thought you were going to forget to say that. No, I'm bringing it, I'm bringing it in. That's our tagline, and I love it going forward, so we're using that. The coolest thing is, today's episode is a perfect example, right? So we take a complex issue such as your personal finances, which are just, you know as well as I do, they're crazy. Are you retiring? Do you have to worry about Social Security? Are you putting your kid through college? Are you buying a house? There, you know, the medical expenses, there's so much stuff. Or maybe you just got an audit letter from the IRS saying <laughs> that you owe them a bajillion dollars. Actually, yeah, that happened to both I of us. I think it happened to both of us. So what we do is we take this and we say, who out there knows perhaps the most on this? And uh, I think we hit a home run with our episode this week. This week, we interview Carrie Schwab Pomerantz. If that name rings a bell, it's because Carrie is the daughter of Charles Schwab, and she is the president of the Charles Schwab Foundation, a private nonprofit organization funded by the Charles Schwab Corporation. She is also a senior vice president at Charles Schwab. She's written a number of books, both on her own and with her father. Uh, she knows everything about finance. Even the president was like, you know what? We need to get on in on this. So Obama, in 2010, appointed Kerry to the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability. And she does so much philanthropic work as well. She's the chairman of the board of Schwab Charitable. She's worked with tons of organizations, including the Boys and Girls Club of America, to put together financial education programs. I mean, she's just a fantastic individual. And you know what, she, what else was interesting? She's a perfect example of when we get on the phone or Skype in this case, uh, these people, they're just so, they're, they're giving of their time. I know how busy she is. They're normal people. We connect and we learn something. And it's just, man, I'm so thankful for our guests. I'm thankful for you guys listening and providing us with this platform. Yeah, if you guys didn't listen, we really wouldn't have a reason to do this podcast, and then we probably wouldn't get to talk to these cool people. So thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Please tell friends, tell family members, tell whoever you can Actually, about this, yeah. this awesome tweet this about awesome it. Show. Uh, put, our, put a hashtag or something in there. Tweet us at smartpeoplepod and reach out to us. We're going to turn it over to Carrie. Enjoy the episode. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I know you're busy. Actually, I, I saw a YouTube video where uh, you said people often ask you, how do you deal with work-life balance? And your answer, <laughs> I, I loved it. It was so honest. You said, I sometimes I just don't. I just don't yeah. deal with it. <laughs> that's 
that's really funny you say that. It's true. Uh, you know, I mean, I know that's a big question among women in particular. And I really believe that it's really hard to balance. You know, at work, sometimes you think, you know, they look at you and you're like, oh, you're a career mom. And then, at, and then when I'm at my home with my friends, they think, oh, you're a career professional, right? And, and you're, you're, you're trying to walk both lines. And, um, and I think it has to ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. You know, parents in particular, you're going to maybe have more focus around your work at periods of time and, and or more focus with your kids. So anyway, it's, it's a balancing act. You know, and I, I didn't think about this question prior to, but it came to me because John and I, we consider ourselves entrepreneurs. We work on a ton of different projects. And I know with all the things going on, you probably must feel the same way. You're interested in so many things. How do you determine what you're going to work on when? Or for the people out there that have all of these interests, switching between, you know, wearing different hats, have, have you come up with any tips over, the, over uh, your lifetime? Gosh, you know, it's so funny. You know, the feedback I always get at the office is, Carrie, you've got to be more focused. You know, you have <laughs> to, you can't do everything. And just like you guys, I want to do everything. And there's so many interesting things out there. But I, I think I think the trick really, in particular around my life professionally, and, and to be honest with you, my, my professional life filters into my personal. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of have a bigger vision for yourself, you know, about what you want and what you want to achieve and the impact that you want to have. And, you know, for me, you know, my mission and purpose has been always to help people to obtain financial security, you know, from the rich to the poor. And so that's kind of my shining star. You know, am I, is, is my work supporting that? You know, is my life supporting that? You know, my, my nonprofit work, which is kind of, again, straddles work and, and uh, personal, but, but is it all filtering into something bigger? That's a fantastic point. Now, do you try to pass that mindset along in your businesses, in your foundation? Do you try to, to remind people at the end of the day, we have this, if you want to call it a mission or a vision. And if, as long as we are working towards that, we'll be making progress. I have Christine, who has been working with me for many years, shake, um, nodding her head up and down. <laughs> and, you know, and absolutely, especially with my group, you know, I, I oversee all the sort of community outreach and consumer education for Schwab. And we all are equally passionate about helping Americans become financially fit. And and that's really what I think brings my team and I in, into the office every day. And, and, you know, I was just talking to another colleague recently, and she's feeling a little bit tired. And, and actually, let me, let me back it up. I remember there was a period of time when I was feeling, a little, I'll say, a little low, you know, in other words, not energetic, not driven. And that, and that was unusual for me. And a coach said to me, Carrie, that's because your, your vision isn't big enough. Mm-hmm. And, and we started talking about who I was and what I want to achieve. And all of a sudden, I got really excited. I, I sort of had this renewed energy. That's what drives people, I think, I think to success. And, and that's what I've tried to impart on my team, you know, on my staff and, and others around me. I love that. I really love that advice just because I think it plays into so many different things. If you keep the bigger vision, because we can get caught up in the weeds. I work for a very small nonprofit and, you know, I have to execute on things every day. But at the end, if I step back or if I go to a conference and somebody says, what do you do and when did you start? And I look back on how far we've come, you get this sense of fulfillment that I think not only brings you happiness, but it brings you purpose 
that is sometimes harder when you're day to day. Just we know we got to read emails and, and respond and do all that stuff. I think it's really important to take time, like you said, periodically sort of take some quiet time for thought around that vision and, 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 and kind of taking a step back and thinking, okay, on all these things that I am doing, you know, on execution, is it for the right purpose? Is, is it the right things I should be doing? And that, again, helps you prioritize and, you know, throw some things out and maybe add some things in. That's perfect. Your name, just everything you do is, is I think, finance, right? It's the Schwab name. I think about finance. Has finance always been in your blood? Did you kind of know, you know, from a young age, this is, I'm going to get into this. This is something I'm passionate about, teaching people about it, helping people through understanding finance. So I remember as a young kid and people, you know, you, you would say, oh, what does your dad do? What does your dad do? Mm-hmm. And I didn't under, I used to say a stockbroker. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really know what that meant when I was a little kid. That's funny. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, I have to tell you, I started working for Schwab when I was 16. Wow. This is going to age me a little bit. <laughs> it was that my dad had just started the company. Um, it had been about a year old or so. And um, this is the old days when the trading room, there was like one room and a big round table and people around it with their rotary phones. And then we had Henrietta in the corner, the switchboard operator, no. you know, switching in our client calls. <laughs> you know, that was in the 70s. And so I always say I live, you know, I worked back in the dinosaur days <laughs> of investing, but that was really my first entry into investing. And, and I have to tell you, you know, I always tell people that Schwab as a company, you know, in those days, we were talking about what, 15 people or so. I mean, they really became a family to me, literally, you know, and figuratively this company. Now, you know, we've got whatever, 14,000 employees, but, but it, it is, it is home for me. And kind of going back to, you know, was it always in my blood? What has always was in my blood was righting the wrongs. And, you know, I'm very passionate. I was very passionate about women and equality. And, um, and I've taken that into my work as well. But without really knowing it, I realized I was very similar to my dad. You know, my dad built Schwab and this whole idea of democratizing investing. And, you know, he would read the papers and be angry about people being taken advantage of, you know, and the conflicts of interest in our industry. And that's what drove him to build this business. And I think while he didn't say, sit me down and say, okay, Carrie, you know, there's conflict in this industry and this is what we need to do. It was somehow it passed on to me. You know, I got the gene and... While my dad has tried to open up and democratize for all people, I I have been a little bit more focused on, I'll call it the underserved people. And I don't mean necessarily poor. I mean, people that haven't been as well served by our industry. You know, I did a lot of work around women investors. I've done a lot of work around disadvantaged women, um, young kids and families and raising the next generation, and also mass consumers. So you could say that definitely I inherited this gene and drive to help Americans and more Americans achieve financial security. In speaking of helping kids learn about finance, you have a huge impact with the Boys and Girls Club of America and helping develop curriculum for around financial education. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because just recently I was reading an article talking about, I don't remember which state it is, but they're trying to pass legislation to make sure that middle school and high schoolers are being taught basic finance, like especially finance for the home. And I think this is a great thing. And obviously, you've been doing this for years now through your foundation. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done in regards to that? 
Yeah, uh, it was about 10 years ago, actually, maybe 11 years ago, that we partnered with the Boys and Girls Club and created a a national financial education program for teens ages 13 to 18 years old. And to, you know, give you a little bit of background, when I took over the foundation about 12 years ago, uh, we didn't really have a focus as a corporation. And I wanted to bring to the table something that, that we at Schwab were collectively passionate about. And again, you know, because of my dad, we're very passionate about helping investors help themselves. You know, again, giving people more financial opportunities. And so I refocused the foundation around financial literacy, um, knowing that, you know, we could bring that financial acumen to the table. And then to execute on that, we partnered with Boys and Girls Club because they're the largest youth agency in the United States, serving 4 million kids in 4,000 clubs around America. And they have a, over a 100-year history of engaging kids and kind of giving them the skills and the confidence to be productive citizens. So we combined you know, that their distribution channel and their knowledge on kids with, with our financial knowledge. We knew we could have a winning formula. And so the program has been in existence for 10 years. We've had over 500,000 kids go through the program. We've done several evaluations over the years to making sure that we really are um, making change for these kids. And I have to tell you, it's 500,000 kids, is, you, know, is, you know, those are numbers. But I meet these kids and they're, you know, we know from our studies that they're changing behaviors. They're saving more. They're, they have more confidence. They're really excited. Like, oh my God, I'm saving for my summer job. I've saved $3,000. And guess what? College is a possibility for me and I can help my parents with that. So this particular program gets me very excited. I'm glad you brought that up because I don't really think about what I knew about finance when I was younger. Even in the college, I was a finance major, but I think I did that because I wanted to understand it. I didn't know if I was in love with it, but I just wanted to know what this world was. When you are giving the advice to kids or when you're teaching them about finance, you mentioned saving. Are there typical things that they don't understand, that they don't grasp, that they need to? I guess your common message to them? My message really for any age, but especially somebody who is um, in their 20s, is open up or take advantage of your 401k if you have one. And at the very least, up to your company match. Because companies usually match at a pretty high rate, at a rate that you probably wouldn't get in the open market. So that's job number one. And I say to everybody, no matter what age, save, save, and save more. You know, young kids, like you said, they're not taught at home. They're not taught in the schools. And we just, we as a society need to do a better job of getting these young people on the right foot. And the one thing that they have that, say, somebody who's in their 50s doesn't have, and that is time to build assets. So we always have a rule of thumb at Schwab that we use that if you are in your 20s and you start saving, you should save 10 to 15% of your income for the rest of your life and you will have a relatively comfortable retirement. But if you wait till your 30s, you've got to up that savings to 15 to 20% and then your 40s, 20, you know, 25%. And you can see, you know, the longer you wait, the harder it is to save. So we're doing a disservice to our young people if we don't get the word about saving at an early age. And in fact, it's funny that you asked me this. I was literally at a physical therapy appointment with a young guy and he's 30. He told me he was 30 and he's been saving in his Roth IRA, which I 
gave him big time kudos for doing that, hmm. but it's been sitting in cash. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And and he said he just really know. So I gave him the website. I said, you know, go to our website, schwabmoneywise.com, go to schwab.com and look under um, mutual funds and in particular, look at exchange traded funds. I think that's a really good place for young people to start. You know, you get involved with a sort of a broad based exchange traded funds. There are low fees and you're participating in the greater market. And young people, especially in a retirement account, can afford to be all in equities um, for a period of time. I hope your physical therapist is 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 doing that for free because he just got financial <laughs> advice from the senior VP of Charles Schwab. Like, I know, but you know what? He didn't. I don't think he really knows my background. I, I, uh, I just keep that sort of quiet. Yeah. Um, but I did tell him I was coming out with a book, so he's kind of now learning that I this is my expertise. That's but he doesn't. Funny. He doesn't know who my dad is. That's <laughs> really funny. Uh, and you know what else is funny? You mentioned the 401k, at least invest to company match. And I'll never forget my first job out of college. I was working in commercial real estate. First day on the job, my boss says, you're going to learn a lot here. But if I teach you two things, it's going to be marry a woman with a golden heart and max out your 401k. <laughs> uh, and and he's 65 or so now. He's happily married. He's got plenty of money. He's successful. I mean... So I like that advice, you know? <laughs> you know what? And you were really lucky to have somebody mentor you like that. And I don't think we – not everybody has that. So kudos to him for passing that along. And I really do I, – I think there is an opportunity for adults, you know, in the workforce or with your parents or your aunt and uncle or grandparent, whatever it may be, is, you know, kind of bringing these young people along and giving those kind of pieces of advice. Where do you think this disconnect with educating the young people about finance is? Because, I mean, when you look at the national savings rate, it's pretty much a joke. And I talk to a lot of kids that are my brother's friends. He's younger, a lot younger than I am. And I always ask them, I'm like, oh, are you in your 401k? Do you have a Roth IRA, IRA, all this stuff? And they look at me with these blank stares. Why do you think it is that we really haven't taken the initiative to educate these kids on like a grander scale, like outside of you doing it with the Boys and Girls Club, like yeah. why isn't it taught at elementary school and middle school and high school? This week, we welcome a new sponsor to the show, Personal Capital, banking accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts, stocks, 401ks, IRAs, all on different sites with different usernames and passwords. Today, I want to share with you a free and secure tool called Personal Capital that solves that very problem. Additionally, you probably pay someone to manage these accounts, and you're probably paying too much. Personal Capital brings all these accounts and assets onto one single screen on your computer, phone, or tablet with real-time and intuitive graphs. It shows how much you're overpaying in fees and how you can reduce those fees. You also get tailored advice on optimizing your investment. So why wait? Signing up takes just a minute and it'll pay big dividends. Personal Capital gives you total clarity and transparency to make better investment decisions right away. Sign up today. To set up your free account, go to personalcapital.com slash smart people. Personal Capital is free and the smart way to grow your money. To get a free account and help support the show, just go to personalcapital.com slash smart people. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. 
For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code EXPERT. Squarespace has been a sponsor for a while, and we've heard from a number of listeners who've used Squarespace and built amazing websites. It really is easy, guys. Everything is drag and drop. You can use drag and drop to add content from your desktop and even rearrange elements of content within a page. They have 24-7 support, so if you run into a snag, you can contact them via live chat. How awesome is that? And they just introduced Squarespace logo. Guys, your logo is really important to your business or brand. So in addition to building your website, you can now build your own logo for your site, business cards, shirts, posters, mugs, whatever you want. So start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, please make sure to use the offer code EXPERT to get 10% off and to support Smart People Podcast. That's offer code EXPERT, E-X-P-E-R-T. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Well, let me, let me just share you know, the reason we went with the Boys and Girls Club is because we didn't have to deal with the bureaucracy of schools. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's the bottom line is, yep. you know, there's 50 states and each state has its own educational standards. Right. And, and you know, they, they make the rules for themselves. And, and so it's like you said, it's just, it's just a huge bees nest out there. And, and so, so kind of answering your question is sort of why, you know, there, I think there's a lot of, lot of reasons. First of all, unfortunately, our school our educational system in this country has some struggles, right? <laughs> we, you know, if we compare ourselves to other nations, our literacy, our, our reading, writing, and math is terrible. And so part of me thinks, you know, we, if we can't get that right, how are we going to get people to manage money right? But putting that aside, let's just say we can get that right. I think the other thing is, is that teachers, teachers don't know how to teach personal finance because they don't necessarily have the financial acumen themselves. So we need, you know, and there are programs out there teaching teachers, you know, about personal finance. And there's a lot of teachers out there through my work on the President's Advisory Council uh, that I've, you know, learned and met that really feel passionate about this. And they are, they're coming at 730 in the morning and teaching these kids, again, the basics. So there are some heroes out there that are making it happen. But, you know, I, I have to tell you, I wish that we could come up with a financial literacy common core standard. Mm. I don't know if you know, they've, they've got now a common core standard, or 48 states voted on a common core standard. I can't remember, it's like English, you know, reading and math. And so my vote would be, let's get one on financial literacy. That makes a lot of sense. I'm actually really glad you mentioned the Advisory Council. For those that don't know, you were appointed by President Obama to the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability, which is incredible. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and what you do for that council? Yeah, so it was it was a two-year um, appointment. Uh, the council was only in existence for two years. I think President Obama is hoping to re-energize it at some point, but there were about 20 of us, maybe 15, I can't remember, 15, 20 of us on it from nonprofits, for-profit, also some regulatory agencies like FINRA. And we were looking at how we bring financial literacy to all sorts of different populations, uh, to the working poor, to the masses, to youth. Uh, we were also looking at um, research. You know, right now there is not a common vernacular around what is financial literacy. You know, what is it that every American needs 
to understand and learn. So, so there was a lot of conversation around that. I personally was chair of the partnership committee. And I was really excited about that because it was all about bringing different sectors of society, you know, nonprofit, communities, government, and for-profit together to work together to create more financial literacy around the country. And there was two areas that I focused on with my committee. One is creating a guide for cities and states to bring cross-sector individuals, experts to come up with programs and ideas specifically for their community. Um, There are a lot of programs out there that are sort of best in class, but a lot of communities don't know that they're there. So we've created this one guide. So if a city really wanted to make it a priority, they could sort of a how to create their own council and how to implement programs that can help their community. I also worked on workplace financial education. That's also another area that I'm very excited by. And and it's sort of a new area to um, make a difference in people's lives. You know, you mentioned, you know, if your parents didn't talk about it, your schools and teachers didn't talk about it. But where it's really important is when you get your first job. And as you mentioned, your boss said, go in your 401k. But but not many people are that lucky. So how do we get employers to teach their employees beyond just the 401k? I mean, they need to do a better job about saving in it and investing in it, but also beyond about debt management, having insurance, you know, estate planning, you know, having an emergency fund. Mm. So, so how do we get employers to take more action? And what we found from our work and from studies is that those employees who are not worried about their finances, which of course last five years was very prevalent, but those people who are, feel secure are going to be highly, much more productive as an employee than someone who's worried. That is, yeah. That's a very interesting finding. And a lot of the things that you kind of just talked about, I know you cover in your new book, The Charles Schwab Guide to Finances After 50. And I'm so glad that somebody like yourself who's been doing this since you were 16 is kind of giving these answers and giving this advice with the understanding that it's so that everyone can learn this and better themselves because sometimes finance can be a scary place. You can wonder, are people just doing this for commissions? Why, why am I getting 10 phone calls about different life insurance policies? And so I think it's this information overloaded place and we need experts such as yourself giving us this advice. You know, going back to the book, like you said, working in this industry for 30 years or more and a couple things I've learned. You know, one is that the lack of financial literacy in this country cuts across Americans from all walks of life. You know, it's blind to gender, to socioeconomic status, you know, race. You know, it it affects everyone. The second is, and in particular over these 30 years, and and in particular over the last, what, five, ten years, that the financial system has gotten extremely complex, even for those of us who have been in the business. You know, I have, I personally have a financial advisor, Liz Ann Saunders, who's our chief investment officer, has one. It, it, it is complicated and I think it really, uh, we really need to um, get people, encourage people to first and foremost get a foundation of knowledge because that's how you're going to have better incomes, but also seek help, whether, whether it's a book whether it's online, you know, whether it's seeking, you know, a professional. And to go back to creating accessibility, I um, wrote this book in such a way that people could dip in 
and out of different situations that they are confronting in their lives uh, so that you don't feel like you have to read the book cover to cover. Because I know when I read a business book, I read two chapters and I get bored and put it down. <laughs> and and so this is in a sense like it's written very simply and it, and like I said, it, it's put in pieces so that you can just go in and read the five pages that are relevant to you at that particular time. And there are so many things that will hit us at different stages in our life. So for example, one that is, uh, I, I'd like to, I know we don't have too much more time, but the two things I'd like to talk about that are prevalent and always in yep. the news is how to afford college and what do we do about social security? So I guess the first thing being, what is your advice towards parents or you know young adults that are trying to figure out a way to pay for college. Yeah. Let's talk about college. So it pains me how expensive college is today. And I'm actually on an advisory council for college or for Colorado State University. And so I've had the privilege of reading articles about why college is so expensive. And what I've learned is a lot of it has to do with bureaucracy. So I think it's really, really unfortunate that kids bear the brunt. But let me just say a few things about it. I, you know, I'm not necessarily an expert on how to pay for college. Where where I'm more expert is about kind of prioritizing your savings. And parents, I know, it's very emotional. They feel they've brought their kids into this world and they have to pay for college. They can't put all these loans on their young their youngsters. And I say this, and it goes against the grain, but a parent has to put themselves first when it comes to the retirement. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because you can't get a scholarship or you can't get a loan for your retirement. And, you know, for kids, you know, let's just talk specifically about kids. You know, there, there are a lot of options out there. Are they the perfect option if you don't have the means? I mean, not necessarily, but there are options. You know, there is, like you said, you know, scholarships, loans, grants, financial aid. There's living at home. Or, you know, for a year, and I know college is so much about the experience, but even a year could Uh make a big difference. Working part-time could make a big difference or even going to a, you know, a community college uh-huh. for, for a year. There, there are options. Also, I, you know, I was just at my youngest daughter is going as a junior. And so we went to college night and I was, I was very interested when the college counselor said for those parents who are, you know, where money is an issue, consider having your child go to a school that's not quite as hard to get into, you know, sort of the next tier, uh-huh. because you're more likely to get a merit scholarship from those schools. So that's another consideration as well. And I'm telling you, you know, I have a lot of friends, even family members, not on the Schwab side, but that have gotten scholarships. Their kids have gotten scholarships and they're middle to upper middle class income families. So I think there's a lot of options out there for young people. But I would think twice about taking on whatever $200,000 of debt or whatever it is. Really look at other ways to pay for it. I think your advice about parents have to put themselves first is, I haven't heard it spelled out like that, but it's so, it's such a good piece of advice, especially because like you said, they're for retirement. There's not really, once you're there, you, you could be stuck. Whereas if you're younger, you have an entire lifetime to you know work harder, try to make more money, save, whatever it might be, go get an education, get a loan, get a scholarship. So I really, I appreciate that. I think that's something that it's good that a lot of people hear that. And the second thing I just wanted to touch on was social security and kind of get your take on how reliant can we be on that? 
both people, you know, I know your book kind of says it's for people after 50, but really it's for everyone is common advice. So that being a hot topic these days. I mean, I'm not in, you know, on the in in terms of where is it going, but mm-hmm. I feel pretty confident that Congress will figure out a way to make it all work and that it's not going to go away. I don't think parents who are running, you know, the show on Capitol Hill are going to um, leave our next generation behind. But having said that, I think what a lot of people don't realize is Social Security is actually a decent amount of money. But it's it only pays for a small portion of people's income, what they're used to. I think the average Social Security check in this country will provide about fifteen thousand dollars a year, and so it's you know it's still so important for for individuals to save beyond that because fifteen thousand dollars a year is poverty is being in right. poverty, and that is a big concern of mine that you've got all these baby boomers who are not saving. And all they're going to have um, left is their Social Security. So, you know, when we talk about there not being a middle income today or about the issues of poverty today, we're gonna, it's going to be worse if we don't get these baby boomers saving. Now, in terms of Social Security, I, what people don't really realize, there are some strategies to maximize your uh, monthly benefit. For instance, I think it's three-quarters of individuals take out Social Security at age 62. That's considered early retirement. And by taking it out that early, you are automatically reducing your monthly benefit 25% than had you waited until you were 66, 67, depending on when you were born. And if you wait till you're 70 years old, you even get more, your, your, your monthly income even increases more. So taking out 62 versus 70 could be mean like a 70% difference in your monthly check. Wow. Pretty, pretty big. And then for working couples, there's also some strategies that you can do to maximize it. And it's probably a little complicated to, to talk about it, but let me just give you a, a, sort of the gist. You, you can have like the lower income spouse may potentially take out their Social Security at 62. Again, they will have locked in a lower benefit. But do that so that then your your higher working spouse can wait until they're 70 and then you can get the bigger check. And also that spouse that's waiting till they're 70 can get their spousal social security, which is 50% of the other other spouse's uh, social security benefit. Wow. That's complicated. It is. The point is, is that that there are strategies, and people should go to um, you know ssa ssa.gov. And that just kind of proves your point is there's things out there, small things, sometimes large things, obviously that people can do to greatly affect their financial freedom. And you know we appreciate, like you said, giving us the ability to learn these things. Your newest book is fantastic, The Charles Schwab Guide to Finances After 50, Answers to Your Most Important Money Questions. Is there anywhere else that, I know you just said, you know, ssa.gov, but maybe places that you write or leave messages for people, other resources for our listeners to go check out that you you might be able to provide? I would go to definitely schwab.com backslash book. Okay. And you can get a preview of some of the chapters of the book. And you can follow me on my on my book tour, and we'll be putting uh, t- more advice up there. 
Also, uh, Schwab Money Wise is a great resource for anybody trying to learn sort of the basics of personal finance. In fact, I told my physical therapist to do that today. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's no sales or trying to pitch a product. It's just pure education around, you know, savings, budgeting, investing, taxes, and it's got tools and calculators for people to peruse. That's fantastic. We'll be sure to link to all of those directly on on our site, you know, with your post. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you're incredibly busy. I don't know how you fit it all in. And now you have a book tour. But, but, you know, I fit it in just like you guys. Yeah, that's true. I guess everybody's doing, doing yeah. their thing. But thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Nice meeting you both. Take care. All right. You I too. Same. Bye. Bye bye. Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Carrie. You know, she writes a fantastic column on Charles Schwab called Ask Carrie. You really do need to check that out. All kinds of questions that could come up with family financial situations and the like. It's really cool. Check it out. And check us out at smartpeoplepodcast.com. And so Chris doesn't plug it in this episode. I'm going to tell you, check out his website, chrisstemp.com. He's got an awesome podcast coming out in a couple of weeks called Thrive. Actually, it might be coming out right now. I'm, I'm working on I'm trying to get it out stat. So, yeah. Breaking news on Smart People so, Podcast. Yeah, I mean, if you feel like you like this kind of interview style, uh, I'm carrying that same thing over. But we're really honing the message to be mostly about career choices and your passions and really kind of living that life that you want and thriving. So chrisstemp.com, sign up for the newsletter so I can let you know when the podcast launches. And I can say it's going to be a great podcast. I've actually produced the shows for Chris, so I'm sitting in listening to the conversations as they're happening. I love it. I'm sure you guys will love it as well. So make sure to check it out once it drops. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day. 